Today I want to talk with you about dealing with fear. We live in a society we don't know really what to expect anymore in life, do we? There's a lot of fear out there. But there are a couple of types of fear that I want us to get familiar with as we go into this series. We're in this new series called Rerouting Your Thinking and learning how to process the threats that come in life, the fears that we face, is very important. So there are only two different two types of fear, and one of those is I'm afraid that I'm not going to get what I want, and I'm afraid that I'm going to lose what I have. Any kind of fear gets put into one of those two categories. People work hard to get what they want, and people work hard to not lose what they have, right? People dream about what they want. We set goals about what we want. We work hard towards what we want. We make sacrifices for what we want. We make serious sacrifices to get what we want. And we read books and we watch videos to get what we want. We'll go to the gym and work out and cause excruciating pain to our bodies to get what we want, right? We risk our lives to get what we want. So the fear of not getting what we want, though, that fear will drive us insane if we don't look and see what it is that we really want in this life and align it with some things that God wants in our lives. Especially when we've crossed every T and dotted every I for what we thought it would take to get what we want, and suddenly we realize we're not going to get what we want. That fear is real. Growing up, you were listening and learning how to get what you want. More than that, you were also learning what you should want. You would look at what some of the adults had, and you were like, well, how did they get that? Wow, he's got a great-looking wife. How did he get her? She's got a great-looking husband. How did she get him? That car, that house, that boat, whatever it was that you looked and said, wow, okay, I need to learn how to get that. I need to emulate whatever they did so that I can have that. Angela and I were watching a football game one time, and, and I'll never forget this. It was so funny when I heard it happen. It was a while back, obviously, but the cameraman zoomed in on the quarterback's mother and his girlfriend. And the, and the commentator looked at that, and he goes, well, look at that girlfriend. There you go, boys. That's what you're after. And anytime you're the quarterback of the Alabama football team, that's what you're going to get. I was like, what? He just said that on national TV. And every little boy across America that was watching that football game heard him say that. And, and I guarantee you those little boys that saw that prize went and did some push-ups and sit-ups that day, right? Changed the direction of their lives. All across America, changed the direction of these little boys' lives because of one love lesson by the college football commentator they had just heard spill something out with envy <laughs> for the quarterback, right? The fear of not getting what you want strongly directs your life. That fear that I'm not going to get what I want strongly directs your life. We go after it. We pursue it. Where you go, what you do, where you don't go, what you don't do. 
the people you meet, the people you keep in your life. Some of us have people in our lives that we should have let go a long time ago, but we're afraid we're not going to get what we want. People who want their inheritance will put up with, 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 with narcissistic parents all their lives, hoping and praying they'll die so that they can get what they want. Don't, don't raise your hand if that's you. So I ask you this question. What is it that you want? And how much is it directing your life? Maybe when you were a kid, you got the idea that this is what's worth living for. This right here, this is what I need to give all of my attention to. If I go after this, my life will be happy. If I do this, this is going to be meaningful in my life. And we got the idea that having this is what we needed to go after and spend our life doing. And, and, and that directed every step that you took up until this period of time in your life. What if, though, that isn't all that? What if you need to trade that in for something more meaningful? Or you could. What would that do in your life? It would change your life. Is your life what it is today because the fear of not letting go of what you are, not getting what you wanted, it led you there? Is that where you are? Is this where you are today? Because that's where the fear of not getting what you want led you to this place. Or is your life what it is today because of vision, because of good direction? Now think about that. Are you where you are in your life today because fear brought you there? Or are you there because I had a vision for this? This is what meaningfulness is in my life. Those are two different things. And some people live all of their lives going after what they want as opposed to finding vision and direction for their life. And then the next question is this, what am I afraid I won't get in the future? What am I afraid that I won't get in the future? And if you'll, if this is a great statement, I didn't have it in your notes, but you write it down. Pursuing the fears of life is not wisdom. Pursuing the fears in life are not wisdom. Finding vision, finding direction, and doing what is meaningful to the pain, that's wisdom. Well, when I get that position, then I'll be alive. Well, when I get that husband or that wife, then I'll be happy. The day I see my bank account hit a million dollars, then I'm going to be happy. How many of you know that's not true? It's just not true. The more you get, the more you want, right? And more, the more you get, the more you're afraid of losing. So if those are the desires of your heart, you've got to do some filtering. Remember we've talked about in this series how we need to filter what gets to our hearts, right? You've got to filter out the bad and, uh, and instead of the good. Oftentimes we just filter out the good instead of the bad and we let it get to our heart and it, and it makes us rotten, it makes us hard. We've got to filter out the bad. And in the same way, we've got to filter out some of the things that we thought we wanted in this life. We've got to filter out those things and go after the things that are actually meaningful. And it's time to filter out those ideas that maybe you grew up thinking, well, that's the most important thing. If the, it, you've got to look at your heart and filter some of those things out. So King David wrote this, uh, the first four verses of, of Psalm chapter 37. He said, don't fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. What's he saying? Don't fret because those people seem to be getting what they want. 
Don't, don't fear that. Don't be afraid of that. Well, the people around me that aren't good, the people around me that are, are doing the wrong things, they're always getting the, what they want. Don't fret about that. Don't fear that, all right? So then he goes on and he says, for like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Then he says something here that that. I'm wondering if we normally misinterpret this verse. I'm, I'm not quite sure, but you look at it and you decide. Given the context of this, this could, this could mean something completely different than what we always quote it as. He says this, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, the interpretation of that passage could change with where you put the emphasis in the sentence. He will give you the desires of your heart. That says, okay, what I want, God's going to give me if I delight myself in the Lord. But what if it's saying something completely different? He will give you the desires of your heart. That's a whole different interpretation. He will tell you what you should want. He will give you the desires of your heart. Delight in the Lord and He will give you what you need to, what you need to want in your life. Don't, and, 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 and what is he saying? He's saying in the context here, don't be envious of people that always get what they want and they don't deserve it. Don't be envious of that. Trust in the Lord. Delight in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. That word give could mean bestow upon. He will bestow upon you the desires of your heart. That's good, isn't it? In other words, let him teach you what your heart desires. Let him teach you what your heart desires. Not only what it desires, but it should desire. Let him tell you what matters. Let him tell you what to set your affections in this world on. Let God's desires become your desires. Growing up, my father loved to hunt and fish and I thought for a long time in my life that the most important thing in the world was to get a big buck and to get a giant bass. And if I got those two things done, my dad would be so proud of me. What I didn't realize was my dad just enjoyed hunting and fishing. What I did find out later was my dad enjoys fishing for men a lot more than hunting and fishing. And that's why he's here. He was willing to give up a lot of those things in his life to do what he's doing with us in the church. One day, Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, and he saw Peter and Andrew, and they were casting their nets out in the lake. They were fishing, and he hollered out, come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. And this is so interesting. At once, they got up, they left, they left their nets, and they, they went and they followed Jesus. He says, come follow me. I will. What was Jesus doing? He was changing the desires of their heart. He was giving them something different to do with their life. And it completely changed the direction of their life. And he went on in the same, same verses, just a couple of verses later. When he had gone a little bit farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Look at that. Jesus put on them a different desire and they left their life and completely changed their life to follow Jesus. That's interesting. 
And not only that, I mean, look at, the, look at how it says it. They left their father, somebody that they were working in business with, somebody that they were going to grow old doing business with, taking care of their father and doing his business. They left him with his hired men, and they went and followed Jesus. You can imagine what, what he thought. Where are you guys going? I thought you were going to help me with the family business. Where are you going? The desires of our heart have changed. We're going to follow Jesus. Interesting, isn't it? You see, the key to getting the best you, to the best you, is to align your wants with what your Creator made you to do and want to do. That's the key to getting to the best you. Align your wants with what He says. Your looks, He made you the way you look. Aren't you grateful for that? Some of you don't like the way you look. Well, you shouldn't. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Seeing if you're awake. He made you look the way you look so that certain people would be attracted to you. Isn't that great? Why? Because He knows you. He formed you. He shaped you. Your gifts and your talents, He gave you those so that you would do the things... Yeah, but I want to sing like that person sings, or I want to do what that person's doing. They have such great gifts and talents. You can be frustrated all of your life wanting all of that, but you've got to ask the Creator, the one who made you, why did you form me? Why did you shape me? Why did you give me these gifts and talents? And, and use them the way He wants you to use them. But we get very frustrated when we go after what we want, and it's not what He wants. Your experiences in life are all for His purposes. But when we go through life frustrated and angry and focused on fears of not getting what we want, it's going to cause us pain and problem. Well, I, I have the wrong hair color, the wrong body shape. No, you're exactly the way you're supposed to be. And if you will just get your wants aligned with the Creator, your life is going to change direction and make sense, complete sense. So the other thing is that we're afraid of is losing what we have. The fear of losing what you have will stunt your life. Now that you've got it, oh no, I don't want to lose it. I don't want to mess up. And it will, will freeze. We won't change things. We won't mix things up. We won't grow. We won't become better because we're afraid we're going to lose it. Everything we're afraid, it, it, it's so important. We, this, is, this is one of the biggest problems in our world. We're so afraid we're not going to get what we want that when we finally get what we want, then we live the rest of our lives afraid we're going to lose what we got. That's a huge problem. There's a story in the Bible about a man named Jonah. His fears in life were completely out of whack. God's heart's desire was to find a way to save the people of Nineveh. God wanted to save the people of Nineveh. But he was, he was like, man, we've got to destroy these people. They're going to destroy the world if we don't deal with these people. They either need to repent or we're going to destroy them. So he called Nineveh up and he said, or called Jonah up. And he's like, Jonah, I need you to go preach to these people. But Jonah didn't fear God. Jonah feared that he wasn't going to get what he wanted. And what was that? He wanted the people of Nineveh dead. And he was, gonna, he was afraid he was going to lose what he had. God's judgment was already going to come down on them. He was afraid he was going to lose that. Jonah was frustrated. He was angry. 
God wants me to go preach to these people. He hated these people. Now, we don't have a backstory to understand exactly why he hated them, other than these people had a horrible reputation in the world, and it was so bad that God was like, okay, we got to rid the world of these people or the world's not going to exist for much longer. They're going to destroy everybody, right? So God wanted to give Jonah a different desire in his heart. He called him to go preach to these guys, but Jonah feared not getting what he wants more than he feared God. You know the story. Jonah ran. He got in the ship, and he went the opposite direction of where God told him to go, right? A great storm arose. They start throwing stuff overboard, and eventually they throw him overboard. Well, he gets swallowed up by a giant fish. Storm immediately stops when he gets thrown overboard, right? And he gets swallowed by a giant fish, and he stays in the belly of this whale like three days, three nights. You can imagine what that smelled like. And suddenly the fish vomits him up on the land. All right, whether you believe this story or not, that's between you and God. This is what the Bible says, and it's a great story, isn't it? He vomits him up on the land, and Jonah's like, oh my goodness, this is awful. I've got to go preach to these people now. But Jonah... But to Jonah, this seemed to be, okay, so, so he, goes to, he goes to Nineveh and he starts preaching. And he's walking through the streets and he starts saying, you all are going to die and go to hell. God is mad at you. He can't stomach you. You need to repent. He didn't want him to repent, but he's screaming at him. Now, how many of you would like it if that's the kind of sermons I preached every Sunday? He was the worst preacher in the world. He hated the people. There was zero love for them. He wanted them to die and go to hell. And the worst of the worst happens. They repented. Revival hits the land. These people, they're like, God, we're so sorry. And God was extremely happy about it. But to Jonah, look at what the scripture says. This seemed very wrong and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That, this is, that, that, that is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. What a great, great preacher, right? But the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? What is he saying? He's saying, oh, just one, the one who knows the difference between right and wrong. Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat at a place east of the city. You can see him out there just sulking. There he made himself a shelter. So he took time to make this shelter, and he sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. I hope he blows this place up. <laughs> then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. That's so cool, isn't it? This guy's out there... He kills these people. And this leafy plant starts growing up and gives him shade. God is so awesome. And Jonah was very, unha or very happy about the plan. 
Oh, I got a plant. That's great. I hope you kill these people, God. I got a plant. This is great. Nice shade. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. Thank you, God. You won't kill those people, but you'll send a worm to eat my plant. Really? He wanted to die and said it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Oh, just one. It is. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left hand and also many animals? He says, you're so worried about this plant that you did nothing to deserve. You did nothing to make it happen or to bring it into existence. You're so angry about that, and yet I've got 120,000 people that really need some direction and really need some help, and I'm going to have mercy on them. And you don't care about these people. God was trying to what? He was trying to change the desires of his heart. God was trying to give him new desires so that it would change the direction of his life. What did Jonah want? I just want to die. God was trying to work in his life. God wanted him to go preach to these people and bring a great revival to the land. What did Jonah want? I'm going to Tarshish. You see, what you want will change the direction of your life. And if you want only what you want, and it has nothing to do with God's wants, it's going to bring destruction to your life. And you're going to wonder for the rest of your life, what am I doing with my life? Why is my life going this direction? Why do I keep doing this? Why am I keep messing up? What is, what is wrong with me? And we're going to keep asking those questions all of our lives until we align ourselves with what God wants and why He created us. And let God begin to give us the desires of our heart. And here's what we need to know also. Just like Jonah needed to know it. That plant didn't belong to him. It wasn't his. Everything, absolutely everything you have is not yours. Your car, your house, your wife, your husband, your children, none of it belongs to you. Your family, your air, the air you breathe is not yours. Nothing is yours. All of it is on loan from God. The skin on your body is not even yours. No, this is mine, John. I'm sure it is. No, it's not. It is not yours. It all belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. All of it is God's and it's on loan to you. One of the hardest things for me to wrap my head around this year has been trying to grasp that this person who was so important to us is no longer here, just immediately just gone, right? Suddenly gone, all of her stuff, even important stuff, she will never need it again. Never. She never, it, it wasn't hers in the beginning, right? And here's what I know as well. She wasn't mine. She always belonged to God. And at times like Jonah, 
I get angry. I get angry at me for not doing more. And I get angry at God. You could have healed her. You could have kept her here. And the truth is, she wasn't mine. She's always his, right? Is it right for you to be angry about this plant? It is. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? So what God is saying is, what you want is going to keep you in the wrong direction. But if you'll shift your focus to what I want, the rest of your life will have purpose and meaning. If you'll let go of that little plant, if you'll let go of what you thought you needed or what you thought you owned, and focus on what I have for you, that will bring meaning to your life. We don't know if Jonah ever got it. You see, God was trying to give Jonah the desires of his heart. God was trying to set Jonah in the right direction for his life. But Jonah feared everything but God. Fearful of not getting what he wanted and fearful of losing what he had. Your fears will lead you to destruction if you don't fear God. John wrote this, God is love. When we take up permanent residence in a life of love, we live in God and God lives in us. This way, love has the run of the house, becomes at home and mature in us so that we're free to worry, free of worry on judgment day. Our standing in the world is identical with Christ's. There is no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear. Since fear is crippling, a fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment is not one yet fully formed in love. What is God? He's, he's trying to get us to change our attention, change our focus, to focus on love, to focus on doing what He wants us to accomplish in this life. That is exactly what He wanted Jonah to do. Shift your focus off of what you've lost. Shift your focus off of what you think you need or what you wanted to, to what I want in this life for you. What are you afraid of today? Name your fear. What are you afraid of today? What are you afraid of losing? What are you afraid of not getting? Name it. And it's time to, to lay that fear aside and only fear God. If you're fearful of God, you will overcome fears of this world with love. James David, would you come? I want to end with this. Jesus had been going around to the little towns. and He'd been preaching. He'd been sharing good news. Good things were happening. And Jesus had great compassion on them. And we see the great compassion that he had for Jonah or for Nineveh in these same words as he looked at the towns that he would go to. He would look at the people and he was like, man, these people are sheep without a shepherd. 
Nobody's caring for these people. Same spirit that God had with Jonah, right? Jonah, these people need help. These people need a shepherd. They need somebody to watch over them and help them and protect them. And Jesus was saying that. Nobody to give them instruction for their lives. Nobody watching over, nobody protecting them. And it's in that context that we have this verse that probably you've heard throughout your life. But it's that context of what Jesus was thinking. Man, these people need somebody to care about them. But he made this statement. He turned to the disciples and he said, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. You've heard that, right? That's what was on Jesus' mind when he said this. And he said, Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. So he had the disciples gathered up. And he's like, Guys, you see all these people? They're like sheep without a shepherd. They need some direction. They need some help. They're all afraid in life and they're going the wrong directions. They need somebody to help them. And he says, let's pray that the Father would send harvest workers. So then you go into chapter 10. That's the end of chapter 9. Then you go into chapter 10. And, and, it, it, and, and after that, after they prayed, it starts talking about the disciples, that Jesus turns to them and says to the disciples, hey guys, you're it. I'm going to send you out. And Matthew actually lists all 10 disciples right there in Matthew chapter 10. He lists all of them. I'm sorry, 12 disciples. He lists the names of the 12 disciples. These are the guys. And Judas Iscariot was in that list as well. Couldn't get him to shift his focus, right? Jesus laid on them the desires of God's heart. Onto their hearts. He gave them the desires of their heart. And I want to read to you what he said. Because he warned them before he sent them out. He warned them about fear. He said, hey, there's going to be things that happen that you don't like. But you need to be more afraid of God than you are of those people and those things. I want to read this to you. Matthew chapter 10. Jesus sent out his 12 harvest hands out with this charge. Don't begin by traveling to some far off place to convert unbelievers. He says, don't begin there. Start where you are. And don't try to be dramatic by tackling some public enemy. Go to the lost, confused people right here in the neighborhood. Tell them that the kingdom is here. Bring health to the sick, raise the dead, touch the untouchables, kick out the demons. You have been treated generously, so live generously. Don't think that you have to put on a fundraising campaign before you start. You don't need a lot of equipment. You are the equipment. And all you need to keep that going is three meals a day. Travel light. When you enter a town or a village, don't insist on staying in a luxury inn. Get a modest place with some modest people and be content there until you leave. When you knock on the door, be courteous in your greeting. If they welcome you, be gentle in your conversation. If they don't welcome you, quietly withdraw. Don't make a scene. Shrug your shoulders and be on your way. You can be sure that on judgment day, they'll be mighty sorry. But it's no concern of yours now. What is he saying? Don't be afraid of that. Don't worry about it. Stay alert. This is hazardous work I'm assigning you to. Did you hear what Jesus said? 
Stay alert. This is hazardous work I'm assigning you to. It means it's not all going to be what you want, right? We've got to lay aside what we want. You're going to be like sheep running through a wolf pack. Thank you, Jesus. So don't call attention to yourselves. Be as shrewd as a snake, inoffensive as a dove. Don't be naive. Some people will question your motives. Others will smear your reputation just because you believe in me. Don't be upset when they haul you before the civil authorities without knowing it. They've done you and me a favor, given you a platform for preaching the kingdom news. And don't worry about what you'll say or how you'll say it. The right words will be there. The spirit of your father will supply the words. What is he saying? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I will take care of you. I'll give you the words to say. When people realize it is the living God you're representing, you presenting and not some idol that makes them feel good, they're going to turn on you, even people in your own family. There's a great irony here, proclaiming so much love, experiencing so much hate. How many of you have seen that? Well, how can you say that if you love God? If God is love, how could He do that? How could He not want that? Seems like irony, doesn't it? And Jesus acknowledges it. He says, but don't quit. Don't cave in. It is all well worth it in the end. It is not success you're after in such times, but survival. Be survivors. Before you've run out of options, the Son of Man will have arrived. A student doesn't get a better desk than her teacher. A laborer doesn't make more money than his boss. Be content, pleased, even when you, my students, have my harvest hands, get the same treatment I get. If they call me the master, dung face, what can the workers expect? Don't be intimidated. Eventually, everything is going to be out in the open, and everyone will know how things really are. So don't hesitate to go public now. Don't be bluffed into silence by the threats of bullies. There's nothing they can do to your soul, your core being. Save your fear for God, who holds your entire life, body, and soul in His hands. What is he saying? Fear God. Not people, not what you want, and not what you could lose. Only fear God. And when you fear anything but God, it changes the direction of your life the wrong direction. Give up your fear of not getting what you want. Give up your fear of losing what you have. Fear God. What are you afraid of today? Some of you are like me that say, well, I've already lost it. It's easy to feel that way. But you haven't. What is it? Well, it was that. It was all about that. Okay? But now it's going to be all about something else. What is it that he wants with your life? You look like you look. You have your gifts and talents the way that he created you to have them. Your life experiences, all of it, are for his purpose in creating you.
give up what you want. Would you bow your heads? Why are you where you are today? Is it because of vision? Or is it because of fear? God wants to change your fear into vision and hope, meaning. But you've got to give up your fear. What are you afraid of losing? And what are you afraid of not getting? It's time to give it over to Him. Don't waste the rest of your life going after something that you're never going to get. Or if you did get it, you'd just be afraid you'll lose it. Use, invest, give the rest of your life to God. Father, we thank you so much for your clarity, the ability to do what you've called us to. God, help us to give up our fears. Jesus, like you implored the disciples that day, not to be afraid. You told them straight up, this is going to be difficult. This is going to be treacherous work. God, those guys, they pursued it, most of them. we ask you, Father, for that same determination to fill our hearts today, purpose and meaning in our lives. The laborers are few, so send us, so send me. Help us to do what you've called us to in reaching the lost. Change the desires of our hearts. Give us meaning and purpose in our lives Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I haven't checked the, the uh, stats on this, so I'm not going to give you any stats. I heard somebody spout something off the other day, and it sounded, it sounded right. But I don't know yet. But I do know that it's, it's right at some level. But the amount of pastors in ministry now has diminished greatly because of what's happening in our world and the way that things are going. Less and less, fewer and fewer shepherds, under shepherds, right? And Jesus is looking at what's going on in our world and he's saying pray that the Lord of the harvest would send more and the question is what if God put a desire in your heart to take care of his sheep would you and I got to be honest with you that's what we're here to do anyway all of us, to take care of his sheep, to look around the room and without emotion say, yes, Lord, I will.
take care of your people. I will do what you've called me to. I will do it. Would you? Yeah. You see, you got to let him change the desires of your heart to begin doing what he is calling you to do. You can, listen, you can knock yourself out and keep trying it without him. But I'm telling you, there's great meaning and great purpose in following his ways. Do I get it right all the time? Everybody says no. But I sure do try. And that's all we ask of you. Try. Look around, take care of the people around you. Amen? Amen. Well, that's all I've got today.